Good morning. Um, so excited to be here. So excited to open this word with you. If you have your Bible, you can flip open to John 6. If you don't have your Bible, then, you know, it'll be on the wall probably behind us here in just a minute because technology and all that fun stuff. But I mean, so excited about this word today and so excited kind of to be closing out this series we've been in the past few weeks. Man, I've loved it. I'll be honest. Um, just talking about um, the series more than more than me. Man, if we could all just grab that part of it, right? It'd be pretty amazing. It's about something more than me. But the past few weeks, we've been talking about service, specifically service in the church. And it's funny how, like, I didn't really plan it that way, but God just tied that right on in to serving the world. Um, now, I just want you to know God's still about saving people, that God still wants to see people save. God still saves. He's still in the saving business, I think is what they used to say. And I believe that, and I believe that God wants to do that in an amazing, miraculous way across this planet. And he's just waiting for people that want to be involved in that, I'll be completely honest. Um, but we've been talking about service, specifically service in the church, and there's no like hidden agenda today or some like uh, thing that we're trying to sneak in on you, like to convict you. If you're convicted, that's God. I don't even know how to do that. I don't have that to put in the air conditioning today. I don't know how to sprinkle that out, but th- there's no hidden agenda today. The reality of it is, before we ever start, um, we believe that everybody that attends here regularly should serve here regularly. Like That's our heart. That if you want to be part of a church, what that means is like you have to actually be part of a church. And that's more than just like I show up. That's more than I sing the songs. That's more than like I just come in every week or I give money to that. Like that's I want to be part of the ministry that's happening in this place. And what's crazy about that is we didn't just come up with that one day. Like that is how Jesus feels about the church. We talked about that the past few weeks. Jesus said to his disciples, hey, if I'm your master and I serve you, shouldn't you serve each other? Like, so the question today still exists out there. Does Jesus desire for us to serve in the church? And the answer is, thank you, two people. The answer is, yes, he does. Like, it's in black and white. It's not debatable on the paper. That's a thing that he has for us. And really, it's fulfilling for us. It's challenging. It's not always fun. It's sometimes hurtful because people are kind of mean sometimes. We don't always get noticed. We don't always get the pat on the back. But, but in reality, we're not doing it for people. We're doing it because that's what God has called us to do. So God believes in service. And if we couldn't show you that in this Bible, then, man, it, it wouldn't really mean anything, would it? Because who cares what we believe? It's just what Jesus says. So the past few weeks, that's what we've been talking about. And last week, it kind of took an interesting uh, turn because it, it became more less about does God desire for us to serve in the church? We know that he does. And more about, like, how do I do that? Like, how, what do I have to offer? What, what little piece of this can I do? Because I think sometimes we buy into the lie that we don't have anything that, that God needs, that we don't have anything the church needs, that we don't have anything in us that we can give. And the reality of it is that that's just not true. Ephesians 2 talks about how we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, that we, before we came to know Jesus, were separated from God, that we, we were dead in our sin, and we had no way to make ourselves alive. But it says, but God, who is rich in mercy, right, the gospel happened, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah. Fast forward about three verses, he says that he has good works for each of us, that there's something for all of us to do. It's embedded in us. There's something God has placed in us that we have to offer. And I just want to say that to you today. Maybe you've bought into the lie that, like, I can't do anything, and it's just not true. 
God has uniquely crafted you today with something in you that nobody else has, or at least nobody can do like you, that that you can use to build up his body and his kingdom inside of this place and outside of this place. And I believe that. And maybe we haven't found it yet because we haven't just started that journey yet, but it's real for all of us. And this morning, we're going to continue on that thought, and we're going to do that in John chapter 6. John, or the gospel of John, the narrative story of Jesus' life as told by John. The John here is John the disciple. John, the one he says that I'm the disciple that Jesus loves, that guy. Um, That is this John. And we look at this book as, as he's writing these things down, as he's preserving these stories of Jesus for us. I want you to know today that this is not just something written like two or three hundred years after the death of Jesus. This is an eyewitness account of, of the life and, and, and workings of Jesus by a man who was actually there for these things. And I love that because it brings like some, some incredible weight to this today. Like this guy actually saw these things. It's not some fairy tale that was like passed down over and over and over and over again and like expanded into this big number or big thing. It's not one of those like fish stories where you like really caught a fish that was this big, but by the time it's been told like 27 times, like you barely got it in the boat. Like it's not one of those things. Like John was there for these events. And he's writing down what he actually saw and what Jesus actually did. And that's amazing. And in, in chapter 6, we see, maybe you've heard this story before, but it's this uh, feeding of 5,000. That's what we're going to talk about today, like spoiler alert, like it's up there at the top. So if you have your Bible, you probably already know that anyway. But that's where we're going to be today. And it starts out and it says, after this, the this he's talking about is basically chapter 5. Jesus has been in Jerusalem and he's been teaching. Uh, he's healed some people. He's done some amazing things. Like if you see Jesus, he's usually teaching people or healing people. It's kind of what he does. And there's always people around for that. And in chapter five, he was doing that in the city of Jerusalem. And it says after this, now the after this could be like a day, it could be days, it could be any span of time. It's just sometime after this, but it's the next thing chronologically that John decides to write down. And it says, Jesus crossed the sea of Galilee. And the reason we know this was not like right after he left Jerusalem was Jerusalem is in Judea, which is in southern Israel. And in between that is Samaria, which is not mentioned. And then the top of that of Israel is Galilee, the the upper region. If you like think of Tennessee and you just flip it this way, that's kind of Israel. It's east, middle, west, you know, like south, middle, north. Like in the Sea of Galilee, shocking, I know, is in the region of Galilee. This is not like a three-second journey from Jerusalem to the sea, like he had to go somewhere after this and get to the Sea of Galilee. And it says that he, Jesus, crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias is just a, a different name, a Roman name for that, same exact body of water. And in two, it says, and a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing on the sick. So here's the scene. Jesus has left Jerusalem. He's traveled for some period of time, and now he's going to cross over the Sea of Galilee to the other side. Um, And as he does this, it says that there's this large crowd following Jesus. Now, that's pretty common. Jesus is kind of a rock star in his day. Like, if Jesus showed up, people showed up. It didn't matter where he was. Like, he didn't really have much alone time a lot of times because people wanted to see Jesus. Jesus is actually still like a pretty important guy. He's pretty popular today. Jesus is amazing, and he can do a lot of amazing things. And if Jesus shows up, I really do believe people will show up. Like, that's how that works. And maybe the reason people don't show up is because we're not offering them Jesus. We're just offering them something else. Like, you can't go and be like, oh, come to church. Church is really good. Well, who cares about church? Like, church sounds horrible. Like, let's not do that. What if you just said, hey, um, so Jesus showed up this week, and it was amazing. 
Because Jesus did this and he did this and he did this. See, that's a different conversation, right? But that's not a conversation we have. Or, hey, come to church because the music is, you know, it's, it's amazing. Who cares, right? Because I have a radio or, or I have YouTube. I don't, I don't need to come to your place early in the morning to hear music. But, man, I might get up early in the morning for Jesus. So we see here that Jesus shows up. And as Jesus shows up, there's this huge crowd, large crowd, huge crowd, whatever you want to call it, following him. Uh, because they had seen signs that he was performing on the sick. They'd seen amazing things that Jesus had done. We're only a couple chapters in. And he's already looked at people that had never walked before and said, hey, you know, like, why don't you just get up? And the guy was like, hey, I think that's an amazing idea. And he just got up. Like, that's not a normal thing. Like, if you want to try that one day, just go down to the hospital and find somebody that's never walked before. And you just try doing that on your own. It's not going to happen. But Jesus does it every single time. He's looked at people that have never seen before, and he said, hey, why don't you open your eyes today? And they're like, that's a great idea. And they open their eyes like, Jesus can do amazing things, and these people have seen it, and and they're hungry to see more of it. So Jesus is working. People want to see Jesus work, so they're following him basically wherever he goes. And it says, so Jesus went up a mountain and he sat down there with his disciples. He went up a mountain, a hill, whatever you want to call it. It was a raised section of land, and he went up and he sat down on top of that with his disciples. Now, Jesus sat down because Jesus is about to teach. It's not recorded in this section, uh, but Jesus is about to do some teaching. How do we know that? Because this is the posture of a teacher in this day. They didn't walk around a stage with lights on them and a microphone with a you know, music stand and a Bible on it. They would sit down, and then they would teach from that seated position. And the reason he went up the hill to sit down is it created this natural kind of amphitheater where everybody could see because we're looking up the hill at Jesus, who's now elevated. And then you know, his voice is going to carry down the hill. So he sits down in a place where everybody can hear. See, Jesus is interested in getting in a spot today where everybody can hear. He's not trying to just speak to one or two of us today. He's trying to talk to a whole room of us today. And if we want to listen today, then we can hear what Jesus is going to say today. And it says he sat down on this mountain with his disciples so all these people could hear. And then it says in verse 4, now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. Now, I'll be honest for you. When I was studying this, this verse bothers me because it... Does it really, like, I'm, I'm like a context person, and I like to just move down the page. And, and if you've noticed, if you've been here before, like, I normally just teach verse by verse through there. And, and that's how I like to read things. I'm a very linear person, and if you're like a hoppy around person, I can't follow you, and I'll shut you off, and I'll pull my phone out because I have no idea what's going on anyway. And, and that's just what I do. It's like a coping mechanism, and every once in a while I'll go, uh-huh, but I don't really know what you're talking about. And, and anyway, um, this verse just seems out of nowhere. Because you don't, you don't really need it in the context of the story. In, in verse 3 it says, So Jesus went up the mountain and he sat down there with his disciples. If you skip verse 4 and the first word, therefore, and you just go on to when Jesus looked up, it makes complete sense. You, you don't have to have it for the story. So as I was praying, like, God, what, what is this verse here for? Because anything that ever seems out of context is never out of context in the story of God. Like, if it's like, man, that's, this seems like a blip. That sounds like something weird. Like, Jesus is doing something, and he's saying something. And I believe that in verse 4. So as I'm reading this, I'm praying, like, God, what is this? Is it just a time stamp? Like, God likes to do that, right? Like, if you ever heard the story of the birth of Jesus, we're almost there. Right? It's like Christmas. Thanksgiving is just a warm-up holiday to get our stomachs ready. Like, you know, like, um, like sorry if you love Thanksgiving. Um, but anyway, like, you look at this and it's like, where are, you, where are you going with that? Is this just like a time stamp thing? 
You read about the story of Jesus, and he, he mentions characters that are like grounded in reality. And I think why God likes to do that is because, A, uh, he likes to let us know this is not some fairy tale or something that somebody made up. Like this story is actually grounded in reality, so he attaches it to dates and times and people. Uh, I believe that because it would be really easy to hear some of these things and be like, I don't, I don't know if that's true or not, right? We've heard like stories about Jack and the Beanstalk and nobody's sitting around like thinking there's going to be magic beans and we're going to plant them in the ground and we're going to go up to the giants. Like nobody believes that because it's a fairy tale. But some of these things, you look at them and they're just as like miraculous. Like what God's about to do is such a, such a big thing. Like if God did it today, we would be naysayers and we'd be like, I don't, I don't really know how they did that, but I don't really think they did that. Right? So he like grounds it in this date. I, I do believe that. He's like putting a time period on. He's like, hey, I just want you to know this is a real story. But I don't think that's all he's saying right here. So it's like, God, well, what is, what is the Passover? Well, the Passover is this, this festival, this celebration the Jewish people had. And they did it like every year since the time they left Egypt. And it was a celebration of how God pulled his people out of slavery and captivity in Egypt. And he rescued them and he, and he sent them towards eventually, right, the promised land. They didn't get to go there fast because they didn't listen. But... Um, but he pulled them out of Egypt through a series mostly of plagues, and, and, and predominantly the last plague is the namesake of the, of the holiday. And what happened in the last plague was God looked at Moses and he said, hey, I'm going to move through the camp and I'm going to kill the firstborn of everything, right? Like from the fleas to the cows to the people. Like if you're a firstborn, it's a bad day for you. Um, so luckily I'm not. But like um, he goes through here and he's like, I'm, I'm going to go through the camp and I'm going to take out the firstborn of everything, but he looks at Moses before he does this, and he says, but I've got a plan for you, my people. I want you to get everybody to bring a spotless lamb into their house, and you're going to feed it for four days, this lamb. You're going to take care of it. You're going to, you know, your kids are going to play with it. It's going to become a pet, and then at the end of that, when you're really good and attached to it and you love it, um, you're, you're going to kill it, and you're going to take its blood, and you're going to paint the doorpost with its blood, And then as I move through the camp, if I see the blood of the lamb, then I will pass over the house and all that's in the house will be saved. So God firmly right here in in this story is planning the gospel story as told by Moses. See, the reality of it is the Passover is not a story about how God brought his people out of Egypt. I mean, it is, but it's not. God's telling a greater story. This is a, this is a small-time picture of what God's about to do over the whole world. And here's this lamb who's sitting beside the Sea of Galilee who's about to be killed, and his blood's going to be placed on all those that would believe. And as God sees that, those people, they will be saved. And here's a picture that God's already painting in this miraculous story about how the gospel is so tied into everything that God is doing. Man, I'll be honest. I believe God will do amazing things that we've never seen before, but he's going to do them because of the gospel. He's not going to do them because of the hype. He's not going to do them because it points a spotlight at him. This wasn't about putting a spotlight on Jesus. This is about showing there's something going on, that God's moving a people towards salvation. And in this moment, we see that he ties the story so deeply in here, but I love it because when they leave this place, what do they do? They go out into the wilderness and they do what? They eat this bread from heaven. Right after God rescues his people, they go out and they're like, hey, we better just go back to captivity because there's no potatoes here. And which, you know, whatever. And, and, and they, they're complaining because there's nothing to eat. And God says, well, I'll feed you every day. And, you know, bread from heaven and just go out and pick it up off the ground. Well, here we have the bread of heaven 
about to break bread. (laughs) And then third, because it's just so layered, right? The next time Jesus celebrates the Passover, there's there's three Passover celebrations in the book of John. The next one, he's going to be sitting around a table with his disciples. And he's going to do something that he's done every single Passover for 33 years. He's going to take this bread, but he's going to do something weird this time. He's going to break it, and he's going to look at these guys, and he's going to say, here is my body that's broken for you. Do you see how tied into the gospel just this little piece of this story is? What is God doing in this story? Well, he's setting up this environment where people can hear and receive the gospel. So it says, now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. Just a reminder today of what God's doing. Therefore, because of this, when Jesus looked up and he noticed the huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip. Now, Philip, I don't know if you know this or not, is a disciple, right? He's not one of the three that we know their names, but this is actually, in fact, a disciple And he is a very logical choice for what Jesus is about to ask him because he is from this area. He could ask him or or Peter or Andrew because all those guys are from the same area around the Sea of Galilee. And and he looks at Philip, who, again, is a disciple, trying to get that in there so we don't forget him next time. We're listing off four we can know. Um, And he looks at Philip and he says, where will we buy bread so these people can eat? He asks him this question. He sees this huge body of people coming toward him. And he looks at, wouldn't you love to be Philip? Like, I, don't ask me that. Like, and he looks at Philip and he says, where will we buy bread so these people can eat? And it says in 6 that he actually asked this him to test him for he himself knew what he was going to do. Jesus in this moment already had a plan. Jesus, when he showed up to the Sea of Galilee, already had a plan. Before Jesus left heaven, he already had a plan. He did not need Philip to let him know where their bread store was. He didn't need any of that. This was for Philip right here. It wasn't for Jesus. He's asking a question to grow Philip's faith, not so Jesus can be informed about what needs to go on. I think sometimes we get in that state where we're like, oh, yeah, Jesus is, and Jesus is trying to get me to do something because Jesus doesn't know what to do. No, Jesus always has a plan. He's just trying to get us in on the plan today. And he looks at Philip and he's like, hey, where are we going to get bread for all these people? Hey, hey, where's the bread store? Right? You're from here, right, Philip? You, you've been around these parts before. Where, where's the biggest Merida at? Is that still a bread? I don't know. Those are real questions. Is that still a bread? Okay, cool. I didn't uh, eat the uh, Aldi bread now. Um, it says, he asked this to test him, for he already knew what he was going to do. And it says, Philip answered, um, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. He just looks at him. He's like, hey, dude, um, I know where the bread store is, but we don't got that kind of money. He looks at him, he's like, Jesus, do you see the problem here? Right? Like, we want to point out the problem to Jesus like he doesn't know. Like, hey, Jesus, I don't know if you've realized this, but there's a lot of people, and I don't know. Like, maybe there's a store that has enough bread, but we don't have enough money to buy the bread. And he, like, wants to run Jesus through the list of reasons why we can't. And that's not what Jesus is trying to get us to at all. So he, he looks at him, and he's like, hey, uh, we don't have the money for this. One denarii, by the way, is one day's wages. So he's like 200 days wages, 200, that's about eight months worth of wages. 200 days wages, eight months worth of money wouldn't be enough for even all these people to have just a little bit of bread. There is a lot of people. 
He looks at him. He's like, hey, I don't, pff, nope, can't do it. Impossible. You tell God that. Yeah, it's impossible. Yeah. You see the test now, right? There's no way, Jesus. There's no, no way you can do that. No way you can make that happen. It's impossible. I believe God loves to hear that word. Yeah. Tell God all the reasons why he can't, and he will show you the reason why he can. Um, so he's like, man, there's no way we can do this. And one of his disciples, another disciple, Andrew, also from this area, Simon Peter's brother, uh, said to him in 9, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So Andrew comes up and he's like, hey, Jesus, um, this, this kid has some food, but it ain't much. That, I mean, I see the problem and I see what we've got and they don't equal out. This is my favorite part of the story. And it's my favorite part of the story because my brain works weird. Um, so there's like two options right here. I was praying, God, you just, you just fill in the gaps to this. So either one, the disciples, when Jesus started talking about feeding all these people, went out into the crowd and they started like shaking down people like, what you got? How much food do you have? Like, that's an option. I don't believe that's the option. <laughs> we'll solve this problem. I'll go take this kid's bread. I don't think that, I don't think that's what's happening. Um, or the second option is this kid heard Jesus. This kid heard Jesus talking to Philip, and this kid heard the question, Hey, uh, where are we going to get food for all these people? And, and he heard Philip's answer, We don't have that. So this kid had an option at that moment, and the option was he could sit around with everybody else and complain about the problem. Oh, we can't feed those people. There's no way. Man, that's a lot of people. We don't have enough bread for all those people. There's no way in the world we're ever going to feed that many people. He could just jump in the party. He could sit around and he could stare at what he has and complain that he doesn't have enough to make an impact. And wait on somebody else to do it. Man, I just got a couple loaves and a couple fish and I really can't do anything about this. Maybe somebody else has more loaves and more fish. So I'm just, you know, like I'll, I'll just sit here and wait on somebody else to do it. Or this kid can realize that I don't have very much, but I can give everything I have. And then let Jesus be in charge of what he does with it. And I'm pretty sure that's what we see in this story. Man, I only got five loaves and two fish. But Jesus is looking for bread and fish. And I may not have enough, but I got something. So he walks up, and I don't know how little this kid is or big this kid is. Um, he he's, could be like anywhere under 30, I guess, because you're, I guess, a man when you're 30. Um, I'm going to imagine him little. Because, you know, younger we are, usually, like the little kids, they don't have faith issues. That's why they pray, you know, God, heal my goldfish. Because they just believe God can do everything. Because he kind of can. So I'm going to imagine this little dude just walks up to Andrew and tugs on his sleeve. And he says, hey, um, I brought this. 
I, it's not much. I got a few loaves and there's some fish in there, but can you get this to Jesus? So Andrew walks up and he's like, hey, um, we got some loaves and fish here. This little kid brought, but it's not going to be enough. He chooses to be that voice in the story. Oh, yeah, they, you know, they got something, but it's not enough. Now, see, I think probably for a lot of us that don't do stuff in, in, in the church and we don't think we can make an impact for the kingdom of God, we've had this guy somewhere in our story. Man, I remember when I was 11 years old and I gave my heart to Jesus and then I got up from that and I, I believed with everything in me that God could do everything. Because I realized what had just happened to me. Like I didn't get, I was 11, I didn't get the like whole theology thing to it. I just knew that before that moment, I didn't have hope. And now I got hope. And it was because of something Jesus did in me. And I remember like just feeling like everything lifted up off me in that moment. And I knew, like I knew everything changed for me in that moment. But see, the problem was that then I grew up in a church culture of just sit down. Sit down and be quiet. You got to be reverent in here. You got to be respectful in here. And then I believe there's some of that, right? This is, this is God's space and we don't want to be like nutso in here and God is about order in, in the church. And I totally get that. But, but he is also about people in the church. And I learned somewhere, and I don't know where, I learned somewhere along the line that you just do what everybody else does. Can I just uncover church for you right now? Here's what the majority of us do. We come in, we sit down, we sing songs, we listen or we don't, and then we pray and then we leave. Right? Wash, rinse, repeat. Over and over and over and over and over again for 20 years or 50 years or 70 years or whatever span of time it is. And somewhere in that, don't we just kind of, we figure out the pattern and then we get aggravated when people uh, like mess up the pattern, don't we? Gosh, I wish they'd quit praying right now. I'm trying to sing this song. Man, I wish they'd quit yelling right now. I'm trying to sing this song. You know why? Because we're supposed to sing, sing three and then be done. Gosh, I wish they'd quit repeating right now. I'm trying to get to the message so I can get to the Cracker Barrel. (laughs) But we know it, don't we? But I want to ask you this. Do you remember the moment that you come to know Jesus? Do you remember that? Wherever that was, like probably for a lot of us, we have an image right now and there's a place right now. We could pick out, like, if we, we walk back to that place, we're like, this is the spot. Like, you know, by this tree or by this step or by this whatever. We, we could take it all the way back. But I'm asking more than that. Do you remember what you felt like in that moment? 
When you got up in desperation from some chair or some pew somewhere and you stepped down some aisle somewhere or to some person somewhere or maybe just out of your bed onto your floor, but you stepped up in hopelessness and somewhere along the line you found hope and change and like there's something that just happened in me that is miraculous. Do you remember that? Because I think today that that is still where God would have us to be. With faith today that's like, man, I don't know what what God can or cannot do. I believe that he can do everything because I know what he's done in me. And it is miraculous. I know that I stepped up in hopelessness one day and I bowed down. And somewhere in that transaction, I got hope. And I got like a future and I got eternity and I got forgiveness and I got love and I got acceptance. I got all that in that moment. And if I can get all that in that moment, then I believe that God can do anything and everything. More than just, I'm supposed to sing songs and I'm supposed to hear somebody talk into this place of like, man, God wants me and he wants to do stuff in me and through me and around me. And I know that it's been trained out of us and I know that like we've been broken. We were meant to run like wild horses, but here we are just, you know, chained up to this fence. I totally get that. But like, isn't there something in us that's like, man, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more. It doesn't make sense that this is all God has. Like God just saved us a set in a chair until one day we're going to get to heaven. And for most of us, don't we live in that conflict of like, man, there's got to be more. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but like, but like I live in that conflict of there's got to be something else to this other than just like I'm coming in and I'm doing the thing. There's got to be something else. And then I think back and I think, man, that that's like the that's the purest me right there. In that place, when when God saved me, when he changed my heart and my life forever, and I got up and I thought, man, I'm different now. That's the purest me. And that's the me that believed like God could do everything. And here we see this picture, right, of this, of this kid who, like, walks up and he's like, I got five loaves and two fish. And I know it's not very much, but, like, God can do everything. So, Andrew, hey, here's some stuff, man. Here's some stuff. And then Andrew steps in and he says, he pronounces over this kid, it's not enough. I don't ever want to be that. There's some wisdom and some training that has to happen, and we don't want to just throw people in that, that aren't like aren't in the faith yet or mature in the faith yet, and I get that, but like I don't ever want to pronounce over anybody what they have is not enough in the hands of Jesus. And it's ever, it's ever been said over you today, I just want you to hear like that's that's like the rest of this story. Jesus is breaking the words of Andrew over all of us today in, in this story. So he says, there's, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. And, but what are they for so many? Not enough. And Jesus, unfazed by this, looks at him and he says, hey, do you, do you know what? Just tell the people to sit down. You just, you just go out there so as they get here and you just tell them to sit down. You just tell them, go ahead, sit down. We're doing something today. See, Jesus is not in this moment thinking, what are we only going to do? There's only five loaves of bread and two fish. Like, what are we going to do? 
It says before this, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. When he asked Philip, right, like, hey, got a problem. All these people are coming and we don't have enough bread. When he said that, when that came out of his mouth, he said that because he's about to build somebody's faith. He's about to show Philip, man, it's not about how much money you got. It's not about how much bread you got. It's about whose hands that stuff is in today. And he's about to change Philip and Andrew and the rest of these guys. So he says, just tell him to sit down. He goes on to describe the hillside for us. He says, there's plenty of grass in that place. It's a beautiful place. Lots of grass, soft, cushiony grass. So those people, they did sit down. And it says, the men numbered 5,000 or about 5,000 people. Now, this is just the men. So 5,000, it's a lot of people, right? You're looking at like five loaves of bread and two fish, and you're like, that there could be some humongous loaves of bread and fish if they're going to feed 5,000 people with it. But it's more than 5,000 people. Actually, that just counts the men, so there's women and children there. And the, the estimates are there could have been up to 15,000 people on the hillside that day to hear Jesus. Jesus looks at all these people. He knows exactly how many people are there. He knows exactly how much stuff he's got to work with. And he still says, just tell him to sit down. He's not worried about how little this boy has to offer. So they sit down, and it says in 11, then Jesus took the loaves after giving, listen to this, thanks. Can you imagine that? 15,000 people to feed, and Jesus takes this little sack lunch from this kid, and he's like, Father God, thank you that you've given us more than enough today. Father God, thank you that this little boy come up and offered his lunch today, that I got five loaves and two fish, and you're about to do something amazing with this today. Like, I don't know exactly what he prayed, but he prayed, and he said, thank God. He's been given so little, and in his hands, it's so much. He's already thanking God for it. He's not begrudging it. He's not looking down on it. He's not pronouncing it's not enough. It's not good enough. He's not pronouncing I can't do anything with this. He's not worried. He's not struggling. He's like, thank you, God. I got some loaves and some fish today. And after giving thanks, it says he distributed to them, to those who were seated. So also with the fish, craziest words ever, as much as they wanted. Like there's a lot of miracles that I'd like to stand around and watch. But man, this is like privileged seating here for John. Like, I would have loved to have seen how this goes down. Like, does he just pull one roll out and just start breaking it off and, like, never even touches the other four? Is it, like, spread out through all four? Like, does he just break the first four and then the last one lasts forever? Like, how, how does that work? Like, what does that look like? I would have loved to just seen how this happened. But, but however it happened, it says that these maybe up to 15,000 people got to eat and out of these five loaves and two fish, they got to eat as much as they wanted. It would have been miraculous if everybody there got to taste just like a little crumb of bread. But they were all full. Like, oh, no, no, I'm stuffed, Jesus. I could possibly not have any more of this bread and fish. Like, no, I'm good. This is when they were full... He told his disciples, boldest statement ever, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. This is only a statement that Jesus could make. 
right? Like if I handed out five loaves of bread and two fish right now today in this room, I wouldn't be like, Nick, can you just go get the leftovers? I could down five loaves of bread and two fish, and I'm not even that big on fish. Like I could do that. Love bread. Fish, man, you know. But I could do that. And Jesus looks at these guys and he says this crazy thing. Hey, you know what? You know, just, just go back out there and just, I don't want anything to go to waste. You know, like we'll, we'll donate it to Carm or something. Just go out there with your baskets and just start collecting bread. And I don't know what the baskets look like, but like if the basket was this big, it's a miracle. And just go get the, everybody's full. Everybody's stopped eating. Like I've, I've been around, ask, nobody wants any more. So just go get the leftovers. The disciples have probably thought, and I would have thought, dude, you're crazy. There are no leftovers out here. I bet you $100 right now there are no leftovers in this place, in this moment. I've seen what you had. But they listen, you know, because everybody's full, so he's already doing something, right? It says, so they went and they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. I don't know if, again, I'm not good at math, but we started with five loaves and now we got 12 baskets after everybody's full. Something happened. And just so we don't think Marita pulled up with a loaf of bread for us, like he says, out of the five loaves. And this is the crazy part. When the people saw the sign, it took them to hear, right? Like everybody's eating, everybody's full. And when it wasn't until the baskets were taken up that we started noticing, oh man, something crazy happened here. Uh, when the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this really is the prophet who was to come into the world. Oh man, this is him. This is the one we've been waiting on. This this is the guy. This is this is the guy. They didn't get up saying, "Man, wasn't that boy just so faithful? I'm so glad he brought that bread. That was amazing, and that that fish. I'm glad he brought enough for everybody." They didn't get up talking about a story of what the boy had done. They didn't even remember the boy. But when they saw what Jesus had done, they they started talking about Jesus. Can can I just say today, you know know why God does miraculous things? Not so people talk about Peter and Andrew and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas and Judas and Judas. and There were two of those. All those other guys. You know why he does miraculous things? through us so people talk about him you know why Jesus today will accept whatever little bit we have to offer and do something amazing with it you know why Jesus today isn't waiting for somebody to come along that's super gifted and super talented and has it all together and has all the money and the resources and the time and the talent you know why he's not waiting for people like that because people like that leave talking about people like that Oh man, that guy, he plays guitar so good. Oh man, that guy, he talks so good. 
Oh, man, that guy, I've never seen anybody clean like that guy. Oh, man, that guy, he, man, nobody's ever punched light buttons like that guy. You know why God takes people that don't know what they're doing and don't have any, like, idea what's going on, and he he starts birthing some gift into them, and he does something amazing that's more than enough through them? You know why he does that every single time? Because those people are always the people that say, I don't know what I'm, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how it's happening. I don't don't know what's going on. I still don't know what I'm doing, but, man, God knows what he's doing. So if you're going to look at something, you don't look at what I brought to the table today. You look at what God did with what I brought to the table today. That's the people God's looking for. And, and, And I know that we've heard like God doesn't do anything in people like us that it's only about a preacher or a teacher it's only about some student pastor it's only about some musician it's only about some Sunday school teacher and then we quit and we sit down and we just wait till God gifts us to be a preacher or a teacher or a musician instead of saying you know what I'll, I'll just grab a mop you know what today I'll grab a broom and I will broom for the glory of God I will do that you know what? I will go sit in a room with kids and I will let God cultivate what's in me in this room with the kids. You know what? I'll go punch sound buttons and I will let God cultivate what's in me while I wait in this place because I believe God's doing a thing and he may take me past this or he may fulfill me in this, but God will do something and get glory through me if I just get involved in what God's doing. He picks people like that. How do you know? Because I've read the Bible. Gideon, I'm the least of these. David, I'm the least son, and I was in the sheep pen, and I was tending the sheep, and if a bear come, I beat the bear. Why? Because I was supposed to tend the sheep, and when the sheep got crazy, I played some music, because you know what? The sheep like music, and they calmed down when I played the music. I wasn't a musician. I just was doing what my dad had called me to do. Because it's not about some spotlight or some name or something. I'm not seeking a kingdom. I'm just building somebody else's kingdom today. And God's looking for people like that. He's looking for people that that just have a few loaves and a few fish that that are sitting there like, man, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. And he's saying, why don't you just do something then? Why don't you just put that in my hands today and you just see what I'll do with it today. See, the reality of it is nobody in this room knows what God will do through you. Nobody in this room today knows what God will call you into. Nobody in this room today knows what God could do in his kingdom through you because nobody in this room today knows what God is birthing in you. Man, I didn't start out. We had this conversation like three weeks ago. Like, I didn't start out thinking, you know what? I want to be a preacher and I want to sing. I started out thinking there is no way in the world I could ever do that. I, I think it'd be cool. But that's just not me. I, I've never sang in front of people. I don't, I don't even know how to play an instrument, so that's not me. I would never have enough stuff to talk about to, to do a message. God said, well, you know, just, I don't know, grab a mop. I, I, can, I can grab a mop. So I mopped. I was pretty happy mopping. And then God was like, um, they don't have anybody singing today and um, you could sing and I was like no 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 I can't do that um, no you can't um, so he used a, a guy in the church to trick me into doing it um, so the guy told me um, he said um, hey Brad we're going to lead worship this morning and I was like <laughs> no we're not um, he said no it's a, it's fine I'll go with you and, and we walked up front and he, he sneaky guy he said into the microphone hey brad's leading worship this morning and he walked off stage um 
and when there's a hundred and something people looking at you waiting for you to sing, you sing. Uh, so I sang, and uh, anyway, two weeks later, uh, the choir director left, and they come to me, and they're like, why don't you do that? And I was like, I can't do that. Why not? You're a music major, because uh, I've, I've never done that. But you'll be fine. So I did that. And uh, then I had an excuse about how I couldn't play guitar, and God broke that. And then I had an excuse about how I couldn't teach and God broke that. And then, you know, like fast forward down the line, here, here we are. And I, I would be perfectly happy. I'll be honest, sitting about seven rows back, watching somebody else do all of this. Um, Cause that's not what I had planned for me. It's just what God had planned for me. And if I sit down tomorrow in, in seven rows back, I'll be fine with that. Thank you God for the journey that you've brought me on. I didn't imagine any of it. And I still today don't think I'm good enough and I don't think I have anything to offer. But you know what, God? Um, I trust you. And I wonder like how many other people in the room are like me that just you're sitting, you know, seven rows back today and you're like, I could never do any of that stuff. And maybe God's just saying to you today, well, why don't you just do something then? Why don't you just do something? Is there, are there no needs here? Are there, are there a lack of needs in this place? Like, like, why don't you just do something? And you just come to me and you just believe that I can do anything and you just put that in my hands and you just see what I'll do. And, and what would God do? What would God do? Right? Because we all have excuses like, oh, I could never be a missionary. Well, maybe your path to missionary doesn't start with just jumping up and being a missionary. Maybe your path to being a missionary starts with grabbing a broom. Or man, I would, I would love to sing. Well, maybe your path to singing starts with sweeping. Or I, I, would love to, I would love to teach. Well, maybe your path to teaching starts with emptying the trash can. See, God's not looking for people that want to stand up and say, look at me. He's looking for people that want to get down. They say, look at him. Look at him. So maybe, maybe this is weird today. I know this is not like the, hey, come on down and, and, and you know, give your heart to Jesus day. And, and if you need to do that, man, I want to talk to you. Um, but I think this is maybe a day where we can just say, you know what, like, I know that I'm not enough. 